and I'm sure our listeners would appreciate a sub two hour recording. <laughs> uh, it's just it's self indulgent. <laughs> it's self indulgent to talk that long. Is that what you're saying? Yes, to listen to mm-hmm. ourselves. I'm um, sure the, the the community might appre- appreciate. It. I know I know of, of a few people that have mentioned they're they're kind of behind on a few episodes. Now, Johnny, sound a little quiet again. All of a sudden now. You, I sound quiet. Yeah, just a little right low. now. I sound quiet. Yeah, a little bit, but that's 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 okay. Fix it in post. No, well, kind of. <laughs> garbage in, garbage out. There's only so much I can do with my mastery of. Well, I don't. I'm right up on the mic, so I don't know. Uh, you're good now. I'll try to stay right in front of it, except when I have to sneeze or cough or. You say that the stock market or the the Dow Jones Industrial ended the day over twenty thousand. We hit twenty thousand and, and closed above twenty thousand. Yeah, I'm going to pretend that I know that what that means and go hooray, but I really don't. I think it's. I remember we we broke twenty thousand a couple of weeks ago, but we we yeah closed at twenty oh sixty eight. Well, okay. So Dow Jones Industrials, you don't know what that is? It's just a. It's some stock. Was it thirty no, stocks? In yeah. The, in the yeah, I'm, I'm aware of the stock. I just <clears throat> when it comes to these numbers, I just wait for the business community to tell me to be excited about these numbers. It's a uh, it's a good day for, you know, it's one of those rich people get richer kind of, kind of things. <laughs> I can tell you, uh, Mark Benioff's got to be pretty happy, and uh, the other investors in Salesforce because Salesforce is up what? Let me see, year to date, fifteen percent almost. Remember that magical day day one of the new year? Yeah. Tony, this this uh, this, this Trump thing's going to work out for Salesforce. <laughs> they they hired you know his, Trump's uh, good friend Monica Langley and then uh, there's been uh, some articles written about how how well Salesforce could do in a in a Trump economy. A little irony there. And where'd you get that pic of of him on the boat? That's just uh, well that was Twitter right? That was in his that was from Benioff's twi- Twitter feed with he and uh, Monica yeah Monty his buddy. <laughs> you think he gets to call her money? Oh, she's going to play matchmaker. That's—I mean—that's what this is all about. That's why I said. That's why I said this. Salesforce hiring her—that that was worth a billion dollars easily. Two. Well, really, there's two. There's two paths here. One of them is government business, right? So Salesforce is going to try to get a metric crap ton of government business, as the government does their digital transformation into the cloud or whatever they, you know. <laughs> Uh, Salesforce is going to be there to take those dollars. And the other thing is, a lot of people think, there, or there's just speculation, that Salesforce is going to uh, be involved in some kind of big acquisition that could require some government approval and that it would be nice to have some Trump insiders on your team to, to put some phone calls in. So I think this was smart. Yeah, Salesforce up 14% under the, uh, <laughs> under the new regime. Uh, can we call this uh, make Salesforce stock great again? <laughs> I'm already getting tired of MSSGA. Is that what it is? Make Salesforce stock great again. Yeah, I kind of like that. Everybody's already, so it used to be the Uberization of everything. Now it's make everything great again. Yeah, that's the that's the new buzzword that we have to right. watch out for this year. Although, of course, this shouldn't be hard to uh, take care of. But I don't think I have a sound clip for that. Should be plenty of those though. All right. Um, any follow up? Uh, we have we have a review. Uh, I don't think we oh, have wow. any follow up from last year. I've got I've got a little bit of follow up. It's really just a something I I think we failed to mention. 
you remember last, and I don't have the clip handy, so I'm sorry, but do you remember last year when we, or not last year, sorry, last episode? I think I said year. Did you? Put that in your sorry. brain. Um, last week, we talked about, uh, it was when, it was one of these clips when Ben Yaff was in Davos at the World Economic Forum, and one of these journalists asked him, uh, or t- t- mentioned how cloud, it, it's, you know, Salesforce's customers like Salesforce because it's so easy just to get in and out, in and out. You can be in and out of cloud, right? That's Which, of course, that's true of, that's the benefit of, of true cloud computing, but we were like, well, it's not that, it's not so easy with Salesforce because it's proprietary and it, it, it sinks its hook into you, right? And then, you, it, it's, you know, and then you can't, you can't get out. Right. But the other thing that I didn't, we failed to mention is, again, Salesforce is not, is not really cloud. They're old school enterprise computing, uh, and they require you sign big ass long contracts. Well, how is it not cloud? Well, because well, your definition of cloud well, is, is no, handing I, your credit I, card over. No, right? I have many. Uh, I have many uh, factors by which to judge whether something's cloud or not. It's not. It's not one. It's not just one thing. It's a number of things that, when you weigh them together, you can kind of get a sense of how how cloudy is something or not. And well, one one area where Salesforce it sounds like Benioff's definition of cloud is different than yours. Then I'm sure it very much is. Benioff's definition of cloud is you know three year contracts. Upsells, you can't get out. Proprietary, uh, not not no no scaling, no scaling for you. Sorry, no no, we're not gonna you know no cloud scaling. None of that cloud technology that everyone else uses to scale. Well, I mean, so, yeah, you're, you're we, talk, def- we definitely you're, in terms have different of scaling. You're talking about cloud computing. Yes, I, I think to Benioff, software as a service is the cloud, and that's the cloud he lives in. Well, uh, yeah, but if your software service is in the cloud, it should scale, right? Well, they're scaling. I got a notification that some, some people on any 11 are moving to a different instance, a different pod. Plus, when I talk about cloud, like I don't even think about SaaS. Yeah. That's an effort to shuffle the people around and balance out, balance out a, po- a pod. That, that's actually, so getting moved from one pod to another or having your pod split up in other pods, that's, that's actually highlights something that Salesforce really got wrong, which is that on the web, in the cloud, with the internet, uh, URLs are really important. And re- resources, right? I mean, right? Everyone knows what REST stands for. Anyone who's read, uh, what's, the, what's the guy that wrote the big dissertation on HTTP and REST? Uh, mm-hmm. Roy something, whatever his name is now, I can't remember. Um, it's all about resources, and URLs are extremely important. And Salesforce just up and changes every single URL that you have. Every link to every resource, well, it changes when Salesforce moves you from one pod to another. Yeah, it, and my domain doesn't even solve for that because at, at, you have your your domain, but it still translates to a that's domain. That's a good point. Does a, your domain not solve for that? I don't think so. I know on Sandbox it doesn't because it's like mydomain.cs26.com. Does it? I can't remember mm-hmm. on, on production instances if it doesn't solve it. Maybe either. on production it does. On Sandboxes, I don't... You may be right. I, I don't know, but that would be a, that would be a better solution to that. Yeah, see, I'm looking at, at a, I'm logging into one of my clients who does have a domain, and it, it says their domain dash, and then it'll say NA3. Well, in this case, it loads up to a Visual Force page, so it's you know NA3.visual.force.com. Mm-hmm. So it's still, yeah. So yeah, again, if they fail that measure of if it's cloud or not, because <laughs> in my head I'm thinking, you know, my domain probably could solve that if if everyone translates to their own domain and it's unique, then you don't have to worry about it. But it looks like. You know, some some things internally still translate to that. Another way that Salesforce really got URLs wrong is that with 
this certainly applies to visual force pages, maybe other things as well, but it it treats them as case insensitive. And this is something that, for example, I don't know if it still does, but Microsoft's, what is it, IIS always did as well. You could, you could retrieve, you could access a URL using not the correct URL, but like, let's say the only difference is you're using one that's, that has different case, uppercase or lowercase. And IIS and Salesforce will, will, will no problem return that with a 200 response code. No problem, we got that. Even though they don't have that, it's not the right URL. And that actually breaks the web. Those, yeah, are, those are different URLs. They're different resources. And for, the, for your server to respond and say, oh yeah, we got that resource. No, you don't. And you just broke the web. You just broke tooling. You broke uh, cachers. You, bro- you, you broke load balances. You broke all kinds of stuff. Well, let's talk about the case sensitivity URLs. I mean, I think Microsoft's approach to that was to try to make it accessible as possible when you're talking about someone typing in a, a URL, www.microsoft.com. If you did capital Microsoft, I'm sure there there might be reasons for that. Maybe that's what it was. It still it still breaks the web. It's it's not compliant with. You can go read the specs. It's not compliant, and it breaks things. And maybe it's easier. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I mean, regardless, it is it is tough living in a world where. It's either it either all has to be case insensitive, and then we don't none of us cares, or 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 it all has to be case sensitive, and, and then we all actively in our heads go, we have to care. Well, the spec because says the, it's case sensitive because when you're living in this in between state, you don't know when you're supposed to care and when you're not supposed to care. You don't know when something how something's going to come. So you end up with a bunch of defensive programming where you're just trying to lowercase everything you can, and you might end up breaking something if you did that because if you lowercased all the you know Salesforce IDs, then you're Unless it's got the 18 character version, you're kind of screwed. Yeah. Um, all right. Do we want to? What do we want to start with? So yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to bring up the point that you, you another reason you can't get in and out of Salesforce's class because they make you sign long term, they long contracts, which is uh, just a not a cloud thing to do. So, all right. Um, what else? You want to? We want to jump right. Let's let's do the review. All right. Because we love getting reviews here at the Good Day Sir Show. It makes us. <laughs> Very happy. Well, so I don't, uh, this one, this one is from Jmart three hundred and sixty. I don't know how to translate that. Sounds like someone I might know. Hmm. Uh, t- subject is what's going on in good developers' mind. Uh, I'm. It's. I'm going to read this. At, at this first sentence is kind of weird. It says always insight. I, I'm wondering if that's meant to be always insightful, but always insight is what it says. As a manager of a team managing man, a team of management consultants and developers, it's great to build a to get insight into how good developers thinks, what makes them tick, and what a good project should look like. Keep it coming. That's the review. Nice. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. We, we love getting reviews. They help people find us, believe it or not. I don't ex- understand exactly how that works, but it does work. Like, share on all the socials. Yep. Um, I'm horrible at the socials, so I'm, I'm hoping yeah. you guys are better at the socials than I am. I used to be much better. I, I used to be a, a, a good tweeter. Um, but man, I've just, I've past couple of years, I've just totally fallen off. I feel like I don't have time for it. And also, I believe I got like social fatigue to some degree. Yeah. But really, I mean, Twitter's pretty important for me because I don't do, even though I keep thinking I want to get back into it, I don't do RSS anymore. I don't have an, a newsreader. And so Twitter is, does a pretty good job of, that's kind of my newsfeed. I follow the right people so that I'm getting the lace. Latest Salesforce news, the latest, you know, 
web development news, the latest programming news, you know, the, the business stuff I want to know about. If you follow the right people, you, you know, you're going to you're going to see all the things you need to see. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, you got tools like this. So what's this one called Nuzzle, I think, which you just uh, let it access your Twitter account and it gives you a custom feed and you can you can have it email you every day or whatever basically of important stories based on people you follow that have tweeted. I I I haven't heard of that app, but I, I used to kind of do things like that. I just got kind of overwhelmed with the email, and I, tr- I tried to use email less and less. So uh, in, ter- in terms of social, I mean, Slack is pretty much the main thing that I'm using these days, and mainly because, you know, I use it with my project team or teams. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, I don't know if I consider that social. It's like a, pri- it's a private, small thing, but. I don't know. I think our usage of it in, in the community is, is, would be considered social. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I mean, you have a couple hundred people in there, so I think it gets to be more of a social thing. Um, it's got a couple, I mean, I got random things. I just wanted to point out, uh, I noticed that the Button Click Admin podcast renamed itself. Did you see that? No. It's now, I think, just called the Salesforce Admins podcast. Salesforce. Oh, okay. I think I see. so. Let's, 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 let's uh, Google Live here. Button... Click Admin Podcast. I just noticed on my, uh, I get, it's got a new logo and everything. Yeah, it's now the Salesforce Admins Podcast. Oh. I wonder if that's for Google Juice, since they saw the Salesforce Marketing Podcast. Marketing? Is that what it's called? Considering that they probably already have the top Salesforce podcasts anyway, I, I, I don't know if it's for Google Juice or... Maybe they just took my advice and they realized that Button Click Admins not a great name. Well, if you if you Google Salesforce podcast, uh, that's number two on the list right now. Yeah, they yeah like I said they. And then you have the marketing well, Salesforce podcast. Links, yeah, Salesforce links to them. Are, do we even show up here? Yeah, we're on there still. Anyway, do you listen to that podcast? It's the it's the Salesforce admins podcast. Um, I'm I'm really behind on podcasts, so it's yeah. kind of not fair to ask me. <laughs> I am really far behind on on a lot of podcasts. I am too. If they if they have a topic that. Or, or a guest that is particularly interesting. I'll, I'll make sure I listen to it, but I think I miss, I miss a lot. Um, I'm surprised you're normally not a fan of the shows that do a lot of guest speaking. It, it depends on the guest, and I'm gen. Well, am I not? I, I know I, I don't. I for this show, I, I don't want this to be an interview show. But um, some of the ones are, are good. And uh, for example, um, the uh, let's see who does this well. Well, they don't. They hardly ever do episodes anymore. But the Code Coverage podcast, they they do a lot of interviews, and those are pretty interesting for a developer perspective. Yeah, it's a different format. Uh, hey, I wanted to mention I, I, you you slacked about this the other day, but you discovered. I wanted to, you to tell people what you discovered in terms of a shortcut key, and it's really not. It, it's just an IntelliJ thing, right? But you kept hitting something on accident. You're like, "What the hell am I doing?" And then you discovered something. Right? Oh yeah, I was I was I was hitting Shift <laughs> Command. And then an arrow key. Yeah. And um, the reason it was an accident is because I usually do shift, um, shift command left or right arrow to highlight a whole line of text. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of a happy accident because the reason I'm doing that is so that I can copy that line or actually cut that line and then move it somewhere else. But every so often when I was trying to do that, I would notice that it would jump. You know, yeah. it would jump up or jump down, and and it was just it was weird. I, I couldn't tell what I was doing. And then I. I I somehow, I didn't even look it up. I just somehow did it just to see what would happen and realize, oh, that's what it's doing. It's moving the line up and down. And so I was really excited because 
the whole reason I was doing command shift left or right was to highlight the whole line so that I could copy it and move it. So now I just have a really quick way of doing it, which is, you know, shift command up or down. Yep. And I've been using it everywhere. And even today I was just like, I'm so glad I found this because as I'm re- reorganizing, I have this weird thing within my head, like everything has to kind of line up. So I move my variable declarations around a bit because sometimes one word is really long and then I have a really short word and then a really long word and it looks weird to me. So I, I like move them up just for, and this is just mm-hmm. me being weird. I'll move them around. But there are other legitimate purposes where I actually want to move a block sort, of code you before sort your another. variable declarations by length? No, I don't. It just, if it has to look a certain way. <laughs> it's really weird. It has to look a certain way. Like if it looks like it's just going all, you know, reverse pyramid or, or upward pyramid, that looks weird to me. Yeah. Or if it looks like one is just really too long. And if, if I can group ones that are kind of the similar size, I do that. I don't know. At least I think you... it came from the VB days because back then you had, it was best practice. At least I, I remember talking about this before, but at least what I used to do is move everything to the top, all my de- variable declarations, and then I would try to organize them by data types or something. Um, and, you know, you don't really have to do that anymore, but I still like when I do have variables grouped together, I like them to be grouped a certain way or look a certain way. I'm very big on the visual appeal of my code. I don't know why. So I'll have like, it's almost like writing a, like writing a story or something. You want to have, you know, yeah. a little you know space between two blocks of right. declarations because that kind of means something to me. Well, at least you care what your code looks like. That puts you in, in the probably top 10% of coders just right there. <laughs> Well, I, I think one good thing about it is I can quickly recognize my code. And, and so I, I can go into a system and go, someone's been messing with my code because there's no way I would leave that spacing like that or there's no way I would put that variable there. Yeah. There's just no way. That, that bugs me. I see it and it bugs me. And so it, it's it's almost kind of like a really quick way for me to validate, Was is that my code? Now, it does happen where I've written something really, you know, years ago and I've gone back and looked at it and go, oh, I can't believe I wrote it that way because my style does evolve. But for the most part, I can recognize my code. This reminds me of a, um, of a, uh, I've got, I've got a note on this. I I think I just found it here. But the order that you put, order of items in a class in in Apex. And I think I copied this from, I have a a similar note for other languages, but um, do you have an order that you always put things in? Like, and I'll tell you, like, so mine. So it, this isn't like in a class or an interface. Um, so constants go first, constant fields, yep. right? And then, and then static field. Or not static. Yeah, I guess just, yeah, just, well, really fields in general, I guess, right? Um, and then, uh, then under that would be constructors. And then, I you know this is something actually I'm not consistent on properties. Mm. I like properties to be under the constructor. Um, I don't. I well, like them before. I used to have them before, but problem is properties can get long, and, and properties really when you boil them down, they're actually method calls. And so I like to have them r- below the constructor, but right above methods now. I think for me, it's I like them above because I'm looking. I I try not to have that so many properties where that's an issue, but. You know, when I'm looking at my constructor, I like looking up and seeing, you know, it's kind of like the the table of contents of my class. I can see what's what's exposed and what I need to default or work yeah. with in the constructor. Some, I mean, a getter can be five, ten lines of code that, you know. Well, if, if it comes to that, where if, where if it's a function that actually calls a method mm-hmm. or has some code, I don't ever put the code in line in the property. It's always a function call and it just returns. Yeah. 
So you know you got to, I mean, because again, getters are kind of function calls. So you know, you got a function call, calling a function call just so it can Yeah, be I know a, what you mean by saying that. Yeah. The, the yeah. magic hides that it, it's a function. And uh, I guess I didn't, you know, as far as like statics, I was confused on that, but I have a note here at the bottom that within these groups of things, the statics come before the, uh, the instance. That's kind of like mine. I mean, mine is, is constants, and then what I call protected, which is just private memory well, like variables example, that don't con- ever get constants, exposed. Right? You, can, you got static constants, and then you can have you know, instance constants. The statics would go first. Yeah. And, so I have, I have constructors, protected, properties, const- constructors. What, did I say constructors twice? Yes. <laughs> I meant constants. Okay. Constants, properties, constructors, static what are, methods. What do you put fields? Just fields. I, I call those protected, and so those go under the constants. Okay, you call them protected because they're always private. They're not publicly exposed. If I want to expose it publicly, then I put okay. I create a property for it. So I well, just those, call them protected. Those are called fields, though. Well, I just okay. I always I've always called them protected. I don't know why. Okay, I don't know if it's stuck with me, and that's what I that's yeah. what I call them. So if you look in my class, you'll see something called protected. Right. Um. So static methods, public methods, private methods, query methods, because I group those as well, and then at the very bottom, internal classes. Yeah. Do you order, like, let's say your private methods, or even your public for that matter, do you order them by, uh, like, significance, like how important they are, or do you order them by the, the, the order in which they're likely to get actually called? I kind of order them by, I guess, significance. It, it, I try to keep the smaller ones at the top because they'll take up less real estate, and I can see a group of them together. Even if they're really insignificant, that, that if if they're small, that means they float to the top. Yeah, and then the larger ones because they'll take up a lot more real estate. I kind of push those down so that you know, as I'm scrolling, I can get past the insignificant ones and, and go to my. I think my general is like the significant ones are the ones that will get called more. I like to have higher up because. I like to I like to have the um, the, the probability of me having to scroll back to the bottom of the class be low. I don't want to be scrolling to the bottom of the class all the time. Yeah, and I struggled that with the way I organize it. Um, but I've thankfully IntelliJ just lets me go to definition or yeah, you know things like that. So I try to use those more often. But in terms of readability, I just you know when I look at the outline, which is again this is just like my visual thing. It really has nothing to do well, with the code or how it runs or performance. It's probably it's just the visual thing pro- of it. You, and, and I mean, there's a reason for that. And it's probably because when you pull up a class that you've written, your you can almost like muscle memory go right to a certain part of the class, yes, super yes. fast. And and really, I mean, any I know people have different uh, formatting things, you know, conventions they like. But generally speaking, even if you know, if I looked at your code, and you you let's say you keep brackets. On the same line as as the, or on the you you bring a bracket opening bracket to the next line on its own line versus keeping it on the same line, which which would be which would be shameful. But if you did that, uh, regardless, as long as your code was well written, I could still really quickly navigate through your code. Right? I keep it on the same line, but yeah, I just I find do. it funny that it was you're like not an, I mean you're not an animal. Of course, you keep it on the same line. <laughs> I did experiment at one point in time with putting it on its own line, but it just I just it just I didn't like it. Yeah. Um, I, uh, let's see. Oh, hold on. You brought up something uh, from Slack. I want to bring well, something up from you know, Slack. Actually, I, I didn't even finish, the, we didn't finish the shortcut. So you, you discovered the shortcut key. I was just going to recommend the, uh, IntelliJ, if you use IntelliJ. They have a, there's like, it's, I think it's a PDF. I always keep this PDF really handy. Yeah. And it's, it's the shortcuts. And it, it actually is worth just taking, I don't know, 10 minutes a day or, you know, for a while. And just, Looking through those, there's also a shortcut key, which I don't know off the top of my. Is it is it Shift Command A 
there's one that you um, it brings up a little dialogue where you can search for the command of the action you want to do, and it just shows you the shortcut key for that. Or it, sh- it you can oh. also run it from that. But if you that's a, that's a good way to learn the shortcut keys instead of just going to the menu with your you know button click. Uh, instead of doing that, hit, hit this. I think it's Shift Command A, but whatever it is, to, it allows you to search and see what the see what the shortcut key is, and then hit Escape, cancel out of that, and then use the shortcut key. Don't go to the menu. Use the shortcut key for that first time, and then you do that a few times, and you'll start. You'll get to where you can just fly and you know really uh, learn this tool really well. Yeah, I wanted to point something else out though, which is you know you're amazed that you can move a, a, a lineup and down like that. You probably were never a Vim user, right? No. So. I mean, when you watch a Vim, you know, someone who's really good with Vim, I mean, talk about wizardry of text manipulation. And if you're interested in that, or if you are a Vim person, um, IntelliJ also has a, I think all these IDs probably do, but it's basically a Vim plugin to enable Vim-like editing. It has a, it, so Vim's got a couple of modes. It's got like a command mode and then an editing mode, and, and this just basically allows you to have that command mode. I mean, you can, the, the way you can select and move and add and delete text and lines of text and stuff, it's 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 pretty awesome if you're into that thing. Well, John, what topics have you got on the docket for us today? <clears throat> so I have I have a couple. One of them I'm not sure you're all that interested in, um, but I do want to go back to the Slack thing because I want to know why did you have to create a map string list map string object <laughs> variable? Yeah, because <laughs> I'm explain a, yourself, sir. Because I'm a terrible programmer. That's the kind of crap you see from terrible programmers. Um, now the reason is actually because I am uh, what's it called? I guess deserializing or a, a, a JSON string, JSON string. Oh, and yeah, it's I could create you know classes to represent this data structure, but I need all I need to do is pull one thing out of this JSON string, and okay, you're not just, in trouble with yeah. me then. I actually, I had to do that recently too. It was a an array of an array of strings, and again, I just wanted to, I I just wanted to do JSON deserialize. Yeah, <laughs> and what I found is, it I didn't realize that I could do list string list string dot class, and that would actually work. It it just seems odd that I have this kind of nested typing system, and then that class would actually generate some kind of type that the JSON would recognize. Oh, yeah. Or at least that the JSON serializer or deserializer would, would recognize. That right. was just odd to my, to my the, brain. The dot class gets you basically like a token for that class, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it was weird figuring that out that I could do that. Right. But in the end, I didn't end up having to use that, so no, um, it's different. I got a notification today through an email that one, I guess it was a known, you know, Salesforce, we talked about this known issues list, which, by the way, I find fascinating that when you go to the, I think it's on the success community, uh-huh. they've got a menu, right? A horizontal menu of the different things. So ideas and what are they, questions or whatever, all these different things. And the known issues is actually buried in a drop down. There's like, you have to pull the drop down and there's two <laughs> things in it. One of them, like the one of them's known issues. But anyway, um, that's a known issue. I must have, I must have, you know, clicked the thing one day that said that the, this affects me or whatever. So I get, I get an update. So I was actually, oh, all, yeah. so I was on the known issue side earlier, and I was like, I'm just going to kind of poke around here because what I wanted to do is see how easy it would be, it would be for me, to, or if I could even find this particular known issue if I didn't have a direct link to it. Like, is this actually published on this site, or do you have to have the link? And well, you so you can search, right? You can search, yeah. And I didn't even try that. I want to see if I can navigate to it. Sure. 
But what I noticed pretty quickly was, and, and I should pull this up, let's see, uh, Salesforce known issues. And for example, uh, so they've got these categories on the left-hand side. You can navigate through all the known issues that way. And they're like, they're by, you, you can either navigate by status or by tag. So it's some ta- you know, tag is like campaigns, uh, API, knowledge, right? And, and within each tag, there's a pr- parenthetical and it's got the number, presumably it's the number of known issues that are, that apply to that tag. Hmm. But so, for example, here's, um, I'm going to click on the no-fix status. So there's these different sets, in-reviewed, scheduled, fixed, and no-fix. And no-fix meaning they're just not going to fix either it or not, it's not an issue? I think it's, I think it's okay, for, so the one that they emailed me about was a no-fix. And, but the, but the, the note they said on this is, hey, we're still reviewing this. So I, I think it just means not fixed yet. But anyway, so this tag says no fix, and, and its parenthetical is 52. So there's 52 that so I click this. I'm like, I'm just going to scroll through these, no fixes. Well, then I notice that when I start to scroll, the, pa- the paginator says that it actually indicates that there are 345 just in no fix. And I'm like, well, damn. Maybe there's just something wrong with this. So I, then I looked in like, okay, in review, there's 705 in review, right? And when I click on that, the paginator's got, it's actually up to, it's uh, only lists a thousand, which is actually how you know this is, imp- one of the ways you know this is probably implemented as Visual Force because they only allow like, isn't it a thousand in a list? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, and who knows how many there are? There's not 762, that, or there's not 705, which is what the, t- the tag says. There's way more than that. So there are actually way more known issues than what it looks like when you come to this, when they, what, the, what, the, what they represent on this screen. May, it- is, is, this it, a bug? is it because they're tagged in in multi, they have multiple tags possibly, and they're only counting the ones that are, that have that one tag only? <laughs> <laughs> um, like it, it can only be no fix and nothing else, and that's what they'll count. Uh, that's not the way that tags work, because you know, because <laughs> tags are not hierarchical, so they're that shouldn't be. But I just found that interesting. Um, just uh, some other just kind of random news. Hydrobot! Okay. So, <laughs> this has been in the news. I, I guess this is new. I mean, I feel like maybe this is another center, but they're, Salesforce is adding another 1,000 jobs in Hydrobot. Uh, this is their... I, 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 <laughs> this cracks me up. They call this, this office they have in Hydrobot their Center of Excellence. That's such an outdated term, it, I feel. What's funny is like, <clears throat> San Francisco is not Salesforce's center of excellence for some reason. That's, that's the core of Salesforce, so, but that's not where they're excellent. Indianapolis is not where they're excellent, and that's where Exact Target was from. You know, New York's not their center of excellence. Boston's not. No, Hyderabad is their center of excellence. But you know what this is? This is not a center of excellence. This is these bullcrap terms that I think it's, I don't know if it's just American companies or what, use for their low-skill Indian offshoring operations. Um, an unnamed company that we used to do some work for, do you remember what theirs was called? The Global Development Center or something like that. The GDC, do you remember that? I don't. It <laughs> sounds vaguely familiar. I'm, I'm more familiar with the they came Center up of with Excellence these, They came up with these BS terms for their Indian offshoring operation. Because you have to, you have to try to polish that thing up to make it seem like it's better than what it is. Because we know what it's for. It's for um, more of that crappy uh, customer service you get. 
from is that what it's for? Well, it says. So, l- let me let's let's try to decode this because it does. They do give somewhat of a description. Um, it's a, it's a customer service and product development hub. That's what they define it as. So, so Wikipedia says that a center of excellence is a team, a shared facility, or an entity that provides leadership, best practices, research, support, and or training for a focus area. And even more interesting, uh, Homeland Security has a center of excellence, apparently, <laughs> that develops multidisciplinary, customer-driven Homeland Security science and technology solutions and help train the next generation of Homeland Security experts. And I'm assuming they'll be... Uh, yeah, so they'll have customer success representatives. What is a customer success representative? What does that mean in Salesforce? Can you decode that for me, please? Customer service call center, right? Um, that per- I guess. That's what it sounds like. So, anyway. Whatever. It's, def- it's just definitely one of those terms that I think is just past its prime, right? Yeah, just... I don't know. But people keep still using it, so I don't know. Maybe not. Uh... An article published January 11th, 2016 from CIO, CIO Magazine. Yep. Seven IT centers of excellence that drive organizational productivity. So, yeah, they're still writing about this. They're, they're still, uh, mm. they're still uh, in the brains of the CIOs of the world. Got to have a center of excellence. Um, okay, so the next couple of things I've got are, uh, like, uh, there's some recycling of news going on. And this first item I have is... The, not the first time that it's been that this has been recycled. Um, you might remember this guy. His name is Ross Meyercord. He's Salesforce's CIO or one of their CIOs. In last summer, he wrote an article that's basically um, well, it appeared multiple places, but it, it appeared first of all directly on Salesforce's blog, but it was also, I guess, syndicated to like CIO or. Um, CEO Magnet, or one of the, well, some other thing. It was like the same article. Mm-hmm. And then today in my news feed, uh, something comes up. And by the way, every time this guy writes an article, it's about how you don't need code and you know, coders not apply and uh, we, you know, no coding jobs anymore and all this stuff. That's, that's this guy's thing. He's a CIO, but he's, he hates code. Ouch. Yeah. And so it was originally the article, at least on the Salesforce site, was Salesforce CIO Ross Meyercord on the future of coding. Right, and he talks about it's basically all about low code and no code, no code, no code. He loves it. Uh, the article that came out this was yesterday in CIO magazine. The era of codeless development is upon us. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> uh, we're out of a job, John. What uh, you know? I'm not, I'm not with. I'm not with that. We're out of a mantra, job. But okay. Um, this is a new article, January twenty fourth. And it is absolutely identical to the original articles, except for the first two sentences. Were they all published the same time, or is there no, no, like the other a time was, difference? This, okay, the one on the Salesforce blog. This one says September sixth of two thousand sixteen, and the CIO one, which just has one sentence different, is January twenty fourth, two thousand seventeen, yesterday. So re- recycling more of this, but obviously Salesforce is really pushing this. I mean, at the at the same time, they say they 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 you know, people need to go into STEM, and we want to we want to get all these you know people coding all the stuff. They're also that's one side of the mouth. The other side of the mouth is like we want to kill any coding. We want to create a system in a world where no one codes. 
Yeah, it, it's odd because it, it feels like it, it, in one breath they're saying, uh, coders, don't worry about this. We're just trying to market to the admins. I mean, they want, and then in another breath, they're like, admins, don't worry about that. They We're want, just trying to market, market to the developers. They, they want women to go into STEM. But ask, ask me this. Ask me this. Why would women go into STEM when Salesforce is either trying to kill coding or they're moving thousands of jobs overseas all the time? Why would someone go into STEM? Just get a business degree. Well, because the, be the future of coding is drag and drop a bunch of pretty pictures and of course, it is, yeah. <laughs> draw draw your flow chart and there you go. It works. And, and we haven't been hearing that for twenty five years at all, have we? Well, it's <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I say that jokingly, but uh, my, you know my daughter's in STEM and she she they do have the, this hour code thing, and a lot of it is these uh, predefined blocks. So it'll be a loop block or yeah. a or a movement block. You right. know, move forward, mm-hmm. move left, and and so she's basically. I'm going to use my favorite word, kidding together a program. <laughs> and she kits it together and it works. Yeah. And she she enjoys it. Right. But I mean, that that's what they're teaching them. But that's, well, that's a, that's a way to teach you how to code. But that is admittedly a dumbed down kitty Mickey Mouse version of, of these constructs that you need to know in order to code. But they're trying to teach them to code. They're not trying to teach them to move blocks around. They're trying to teach them coding concepts. Ag- agreed. Looping and algorithms and things like that. Right? Agreed. But what if what if it's more sinister than that? What if what if the <laughs> future of Salesforce is is the the kitty playground, the you know, where you are dragging and dropping blocks and and you know what? Should should we be knocking that? I mean, if it works and it works well and it and it does the job, I mean, the only thing I'm knocking is I think it's BS. That I, I laugh at I laugh at it. I'm not I'm not threatened by it. It's it's hilarious. I, I think it's really just. I mean, if I I, if, I, I if feel I, we come off more as as threatened by it when we when we have these conversations and we kind of try to expose it. I, I feel I feel more threatened by it when we have these conversations. Oh, I, I don't I don't feel threatened by it at all because I don't I think it's complete crap. Salesforce is the. I mean, there are. Like uh, you know, low code, no code, whatever you want to call them, systems out there. But I mean, they're people have hardly even heard of them. I mean, ninety nine point five percent of systems being built, whether it's apps, whether it's business things and integrations or whatever, it's it's code. I mean, code just happens to be, especially if you especially if you happen to be fortunate enough to be working with a good programming language. Code's a very expressive, detailed, and an efficient way to define your logic. Dragging big bubbles and boxes and crap around that aren't reusable and aren't isn't efficient and isn't easy to organize. That is not and isn't isn't easy to understand and refactor and process with text and everything else. That's not good way to a good way to build things, and it's probably not ever going to be. And well, so you're, you're, I, you're missing the point, Jeremy. Okay, <laughs> I, I don't doubt that. <laughs> See, here's here's how it's going to play out, and I'm going to play futurist here for a bit. You're going to drag and drop all your little your fancy bubbles and you say, okay, here's my bubbles, here's the things that I want you to interact with, and here's the output that I need. And some AI engine is going to go through that and well, go, that could be. you know what? Yep, I understand what you're trying to do here. I'm going to rewrite that yeah. as this. Well, I mean, Microsoft's already working on programs. Well, actually, everyone's working well, on programs of AI. At, it was Google. Of AI writing AI yeah. code. And and I think, well, I think one place that's right for even more improvement, even though they've gotten so good in, in recent years, is IDEs. I mean, they you sit down with a good C-sharp or Java IDE, it almost writes the code for you, especially if you learn how to use the tool. Yeah. And the refactoring and the way it just auto-completes stuff. And I mean, there's the little... Um, uh, what, is I, what does IntelliJ call them? They're, they're almost like these completion things. Like, it, it's just amazing how much... Um, they do for you, and I think that will continue, right? Yeah. But I mean, someone's got to someone's got to program the AI. 
Someone's got to still program, you know, core well, no, things. I, ju- and- I just told you Google's working on AI that writes AI. It's so. going to write AI, yeah. Well, <laughs> in that case, I guess I'll go get another job somewhere. <laughs> I'm a good cook. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll just, I'll mix cocktails. How about yeah. that? I'll, I'll mix the cocktails, you, you make the food, and we'll just open a restaurant. I'm building my chops back up and get, get some trumpet gigs, some jazz gigs. Yeah. We'll, call it, <laughs> we'll call it the, the Good Day Sir restaurant. Yeah. You have a French version of that? So it's going to be the sound all uppity. Uh, no, I don't. I don't know how to say that. Um, but I did, let me let me do my second example of story recycling. All right. We now have round two of <laughs> sales versus Salesforce versus the gender pay gap. Did you see this? I did not. Uh, I'm kind of avoiding all that type. Uh, of oh no! I just I yeah. I think it's funny. Let me uh, let's see. I got some somebody have quotes here somewhere. He says. He says, there's, there's, another, there's a need for another, quote, huge adjustment that, that's been prompted by their acquisitions. Oh, and Salesforce? So, and Salesforce says, we just bought a bunch of companies and acquiring other firms, meaning inheriting their so, culture and pay practices. So he's, he keeps hiring. Why is he rewarding all these bigoted, sexist companies by <laughs> buying them? This is shameful. <laughs> now, you remember, you remember, John, that Salesforce previously made... Huge adjustments to salaries. $3 million worth. Yeah, which, first of all, only affected 6% of their employees. And I think came out to an average of like, you know, let's say you were someone who was technically or supposedly underpaid. So you got bumped from 93 grand a year to 90, or people probably make more than that. I mentioned people making the Bay Area. You got bumped from like 121 grand to 124 grand. You know, don't spend it all in one place. Anyway, so yeah, they've you know they've they've slipped back into their into the bad old ways. <laughs> it's fine. I mean, I don't, I don't mind them kind of doing an audit and making sure everyone's getting paid. You know what they should be getting paid, especially with these acquisitions yeah. that they were. You know, a lot of these acquisitions they were they were startups, so they were probably running razor thin anyway. So it's 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 probably something. I mean, it's, that it seems more done. like you know Salesforce. They're like, yeah, it's been a, it's been a while since we patted ourselves on the back. What can we do? Oh, I know. <laughs> let's just let's let's re- recycle this one again. Uh, I'm going to piggyback off that and talk. Did you did you read that article from about WePro? No. <laughs> so, one, of my, one of my favorite companies. Uh, so so they bought Aperio, right? And uh, apparently, and this is no, this is uh, we. I thought Accenture bought Aperio. No, did you, oh they no Accenture bought uh, Cloud Sherpas, yeah. right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, WePro bought Aperio. And so this was okay. this is Digi Diginomica. Oh, I've got I've got something from them too. And I, I don't know if maybe it's just slow news week or whatever. I, I guess we can make something of this. Because it does kind of illustrate a shift in consciousness, I'll say, okay. as I look off into the window that yep. no one can see. Uh, the title is, We Pro Relaxes Dress Code for Aperio. What else is changing? So apparently, I mean, this article really starts out with the fact of the dress code changing, and it makes a big deal about the dress code changing. And, and, and at least in my head, I'm going, okay, I guess the perception is, is Aperio is this stuffy suit place. And they want to make it a more casual, dynamic, young go-getter in your jeans and your, you know, your your skinny jeans and your your your, uh, you know, t-shirt and your your beard with the little curlies. Yeah, <laughs> your hipster style. <laughs> As you come to work on your skateboard, you know that's that's kind of atmosphere they're trying to cultivate, apparently. So, what, which which one do they relax? Do they? Are you saying they relax their dress code? So, so this is a quote uh, from uh, who is this? Uh, we Pro CEO Bid Nimu Chwala. Yeah, uh, 
decided it was time to update the policy. He says, as an example of willingness to change, the day the acquisition closed, he changed the WePro dress code worldwide to the Aperio dress code. Oh, wait a minute. Did I have that backwards? Yeah, Aperio bought WePro or something. No, no. More and more, they look to adopting the agile way of working and more startup-y cloud way of working into so, the so wider they downgraded WePro their organization. Dress code. They went from business, probably business casual, to basically street clothes. Yeah, so so it was the, it was the reverse. So WePro yeah. had, had an Aperio... Had the well, they're trying to be like an American company, right? They're they're you know they bought they bought an American company now, and they're trying to play themselves off as this kind of more oh, I can't say Native American. What do you call it? An indigenous American? <laughs> there's there's just no good way to say that. <laughs> yeah, and that's they got to act like it. Yeah, well, that's a good thing for everyone that works there, right? Well, they also don't want to lose all their good Aperio employees because the culture is you know weird. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess if, if there's anything, especially if they're in that environment that can kind of help relax, is just eh, just show up in your jeans, man. I don't care. Just come in. Yeah. <laughs> just come in and do your job. Relax. Well, so you since go. you brought up Diginomica, I I had an article uh, marked from Diginomica. This is like a this is really kind of a newscast, isn't it? Today. Sorry about that. I don't know if that's boring or not. Although there's, there hasn't been that much news, but I, I don't know. I don't really have any other content prepared. But anyway, this is interesting. Diginomica, uh, they had an article um, that was about. Well, let me let me let me just pop into it here and read this. Uh, the title is, you know, another Oracle Salesforce M and A rumor. What are people smoking? So this guy says, you know, rumors are beginning again to suggest that Oracle or Microsoft, or possibly, possibly Martians, are poised to buy Salesforce. Uh, <laughs> My bet is on the Martians. With Oracle being the supposed frontrunner. This seems like an 18-month rumor treadmill, plus or minus a week in the IT press. Methinks. Me um, anyway, he said the latest oxygen from the story comes from a Tech Target piece by, you know, some news director. And uh, then he said, you know, He's criticizing that that article, saying, "But you know what? You're saying Salesforce is out of ideas. Really? They're saturated. Really? Which market? Salesforce keeps inventing them. I just spent two days with part of the executive team, exhaustively going over the roadmaps, and it sure didn't feel like they were out of ideas. Waterboarding was more like it. That must have been the analyst conference. Um. Anyway, let's see. Uh, let me see if I can find some more interesting things." Anyway, he's just saying that like every public company is for sale, so speculating about acquiring just with the territory. But you need more than speculation and a not, and a and a not very original idea to buy a company like Salesforce. So he's like complaining that people are speculating about. He's complaining about this article. He's basically complaining about this Tech Target article. Well, I mean, there's reason to. There's I I I don't think there's any validity in any kind of buyout rumors right now. Well. So this is interesting. So I, I go to click on this art article because I'd saved it, hadn't really read it, clicked on it, and I'm getting nothing. It says, you know, I'm getting a 404. Mm. Like, oh, wow, this, what happened to this? I searched for it, couldn't find it. Well, I found it in Google's cache, which is the only reason I'm able to read this to you right now. All right, so I go to the Google cache and there's a comment at the bottom. Again, this is only if you go to, you know, only if you're reading Google's cache, you see this. Hi, Dennis, the tech Target article. By the way, this is a thousand-word article this guy wrote, basically trashing this other publication. Hi, Dennis. The Tech Target article you cite as the latest oxygen is actually an opinion piece dated May 2014. Oh. <laughs> Please note the error in your article. 
So <laughs> instead of noting it, he just deleted it. Yeah. It's like, oops. <laughs> Which I thought journalistically you were not allowed to delete. Now you can you can edit articles and say, hey, we got this wrong, or here's what we got wrong, whatever. But to completely delete as if it didn't ever as if it wasn't ever published, I thought that was against the journalistic rules. Am I wrong about that? We're all fake news, Jeremy. I know. We can delete whatever we want. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, you know, I, I, that's, I, I feel for him because there have been times where I've, I've been researching stuff for, for the podcast and I'll find something and I'll, I'll like, I'll start putting these notes and I'll, I'll start, you know, researching all these different things and kind of collab, you know, putting together like this piece only to realize that article is really old. Yeah. No, I've done that too. But, but this goes to show that these, these places have no editors whatsoever. The entire article was based on something that was completely wrong. That's true. I mean, someone should have should have been able to proofread that and verify the sources and would have seen, uh, yeah, this is from 2013. Dude. And how do you spend the time to write a thousand-word article and not look at the date? I don't know. Sometimes rants just happen. <laughs> um... So, uh, do you remember we talked we we talked about this Forbes article last week about that analyst summit and this guy Peter or Daniel Peter or Daniel Petter? I'm not sure how to say the name. Uh, he he uh, shot gave us a shout out on Twitter. Said and yeah, thanked, thanked us for for uh, mentioning it. It it was probably the meatiest article I've ever seen in Forbes. So, <laughs> it, at least so, so someone you, at least someone is going and doing some kind of journalistic, you know, slash research work, getting off of their butt and actually going somewhere to try to get a story <laughs> versus these. And I don't even think, maybe he is. I don't, I don't know, Daniel. Maybe he is a journalist and he's also a part-time Salesforce MVP or something. But my guess is I don't think he's a journalist. I don't think that's his day job. I think he probably just, this is like, you know, he's like, I don't want to say it's just a blog, but I mean, he's, you know, it's something he does in his, in his free time because mm-hmm. he, you know, wants to write about this stuff. And even he is going to, he's doing a better job than most of these people who are supposedly journalists that are doing nothing but just reissuing press releases. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what to say. But he can probably write one thing a month and that's fine because he's not having to, you know, he's not trying to, um, you know, make his living off of. Well, I mean, writing. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's kind of the, the uh, double edged sword of it all, isn't it? That, uh, when you write something, you have to write something and be interesting enough to to make a splash in all this noise of you know the twenty four hour news cycle and you know a billion websites that that want to want your eyeballs. Yeah, yeah. That's why these these uh, clickbaity titles happen. It's just it's ruined. Uh, the internet has ruined journalism. It has. Um, did we ever talk about the you know Salesforce is the new BlackBerry? Did you see that article? I didn't, um, but as you get into that, I I discovered or I, I don't I just I read about it. Some something pinged me or something, and I read about it that uh, that I didn't know that okay. Android was originally its first iteration was meant to be a BlackBerry clone OS. It was meant to run on BlackBerry. No, it was it was meant to compete with BlackBerry. That they were they started writing an OS because well, it was that was before iPhone. That was, was before announced. iPhone, and then yeah. iPhone announced, and they switched gears. And and then transition it to to that style of kind of phone. Well, I noticed also that Andy Rubin has been—is that his name? Um, in the news, he was the—he created Android, and 
That was before Google bought Android. I don't think Google, I don't think Android was created at Google. I believe Andy Rubin created, hmm. you know, the original Android. Uh, Google bought them very early on. This is, I could be wrong on this, but anyway, he left. Uh, so, you know, kept, kept building Android uh, at Google. I think he left a couple of years ago. And then he, I guess, is coming back to Google now. He's got an essential phone. It's a high end smartphone. Uh, supposedly, it's going to be the centerpiece of a series of, you know, AI type gadgets or something. Mm. And I don't know if he's going back to Google or what's going on. Or if they, I don't, I, I don't think so. I just think he's, I don't know, going to have a new, a new phone to compete with other phones. I'm not sure. Is it going to kind of be a more premium of their Pixel line? I don't know. I, I'm not even actually sure that it's going back to Google. I mean, I could be completely wrong about that part. Huh. But I just know he's been in the news. Anyway, so back to the uh, Salesforce being the 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 BlackBerry. So I mean, I, obviously, what this guy's talking about here is that. And let's see who this is written by. Stuart Wall. You know this guy, Stuart Wall. Nope. Anyway, and this is you know not not supposed to be a flattering piece, right? So he says that you know last year, I guess, or Salesforce beat their Q1 earnings, and this was after announcing a twenty percent price increase. He's basically saying, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, now thousands of, you know, captive users are, are going to have no choice but to pay up. And this, hmm. again, is back to that vendor lock-in thing. You know, so it's all, it's all uh, peaches and cream until Salesforce starts jacking up prices more or doing things you don't like. And now you're, you've invested thousands and thousands of hours into configuration development, training, customization, all this kind of stuff. And, and it's in proprietary languages. It's not like you're going to take it. You, you can't take this from your... To, to a different JVM or a different cloud hosting provider or anything, it's you're stuck. So this is his point here, and he's you know, he's saying a, a new generation of automated CRMs are going to emerge as a viable alternative, um, bringing intelligence and ease of use uh, to a category of dumb CRM database. So he's calling Salesforce basically a dumb CRM database. It kind of is. Um, it's getting smarter. They have Einstein. And we'll see. We'll see, but Jury's I mean, they're moving. Out. They're moving that direction. I mean, they, they have they're plans. Trying to. They have plans for that it's because not they know like, they've. Well, they know that you know we've talked. I mean, Salesforce stagnated a long time ago, so it's like they're trying to give it a shot of life into not only Salesforce but the other clouds too. Want to keep you know, they've got their hooks in, but they're they're starting to come out a little bit. Or I know I don't know. Um, but anyway, he's saying that this you know this this disruption will hap- happen. Uh, much faster than Salesforce expects, just like BlackBerry's disruption happened much faster than they expected. Um, you know, so the problem with CRM technology is it's complicated and confusing. It requires a lot of manual data collection and, and email marketing. Um, and he's saying that they're just doomed. Businesses today have a hard enough time keeping their data up to date, let alone using it to maximize the value of their relationships. Salesforce is still pretty much, well, I don't know, they have things like data.com, which was the yeah. jigsaw thing, which, I don't know, kind of keeps things up to date. <clears throat> Not as good, though, as, as things like LinkedIn keeping your system up to date. That's even better because that's people updating their own crap for you, which is pretty amazing. Uh, the, the technology should be gathering data, identifying insights, and making, making productive decisions all on its own. I, th- I still find it amazing that Salesforce is still so bad at things like email and calendaring and tasks and stuff. That's, that's even of, of the dumb, that's, that's dumb CRM, right? That's dumb CRM. And Salesforce is even bad at that. It's hard for me to paint a rosy picture of that other than, I don't know, we've got a new lightning skin on it. Yeah, new skin. It's pretty now. It's a little more accessible in, in objects, but it's still 
same tech on underneath. A common th- he's talking. He compares it to some of these con- consumer products like phones and things, and or like uh, what's Pandora and Spotify or whatever. How they changed music. And he said, uh, you know, the the common thread for consumer products is their em- emphasis on user experience, an intuitive and effortless interface that doesn't get away. And the same thing applies to B two B technologies. Although all too often, enterprise software companies overlook this principle at their peril. And I don't think Salesforce falls into that. I mean, I think they did for a long time, and I think they probably waited too long for something like Lightning. Because when Salesforce announced Lightning, that's when we had started to hear talk of, and this was all across B two B software. You know, the the consumerization of business applications, or the socialization. You want things to look like. I mean, people know how to use Facebook. So, again, we're dealing with, uh, you know, Mark always talks about this, uh, millennials, who he claims literally don't know how to use computers. They know how to use Facebook, so make it look and feel like Facebook or Twitter or something. And that's, that's, what, that's what consumerization of these business apps means, and that's what Lightning is kind of all about. That doesn't make sense. We're teaching kids how to code. They should know how to use some really no, nice No, because we don't, we're not going to need any coders anymore. I'm just saying. That was, that was last year. This but year is no more code. We're loading them up with tech and science, <laughs> and they, they should understand this stuff. Uh, he's also saying that, you know, most organizations have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to create something that Salesforce does not provide out of the box, data-driven automa- automation. He's basically talking about, I think, customizing Salesforce. And he's saying, in fact, there's a cottage industry of highly paid developers and consultants who capitalize on the shortcoming of Salesforce's product. I guess that's us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oops. Businesses continue to use Salesforce because it's difficult to in- abandon, much like one's cable provider. Wow. Another way to bring that cable mode a metaphor in. Not only are you, is it a shared resource that gets crappy in peak times, but you're locked into it. It's your only option. You can't go anywhere, which that's kind of like my situation at home. I pretty much have a cable, I have one cable modem provider, and that's it. That's my choice. <laughs> But it's not a model that doesn't work. It's not a model that's not profitable. It's well, it's not profitable for Salesforce. If you want to get technical about well, it, I guess <laughs> I was going to compare it to Apple. It and, could be because I mean, the Apple's system is entirely. I mean, they've made strides and making it a little more compatible with other things. But for the most part, it's proprietary. Yeah, and you have your cloud sync and your phones and devices. Everything just works better with it, and you can. But he's saying this lock in. Right, it's because it's difficult to abandon. He says this that particular dynamic is has catapulted Salesforce from a SaaS pioneer um, to the multiple multiple billion dollar behemoth it is today. But it will also be its undoing, since it's an interesting claim. Quote: Innovation has never been a part of its survival strategy. Which and, is odd that he says that because that's that's all Benioff talks about when we go to Dreamforce and everything. Oh, everything's yeah. about innovation. How we've how we've innovated the platform. You, we're right, innovating yeah. this. You know. But, but John, be realistic. What Benioff talks about is transforming the way you innovate or innovating the way you transform. Which, as Dan Lyons has pointed out to, out to us, is complete bullshit. <laughs> I mean, we're still. I mean, look at the look at the tools we're working on. We're dealing with a language that sucks worse than the language it was based from fifteen years ago. Um, <sighs> All right, Jeremy. After this, we move into our segment of saying something nice about Salesforce. Oh, I've got it. I'm not because got one. I've got one. I know you're getting I'm, a bit naggy. We're we're. <laughs> <laughs> I do that sometimes. <laughs> um, no, there's 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 two sides of the story, and I don't I don't agree that innovation has n- never been. I think a part of its survival strategy. I think there's areas of needed innovation that Salesforce has sorely ignored, 
But that, I'm not, that's not to say that they haven't innovated in other areas. A lot of their innov- innovation through acquisition. You can't ignore it. It's innovating, I guess. You know, if you don't want to build it, buy it. Well, they've certainly bought a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, um, Lightning is innovation, right? They've innovated. I mean, I don't, I just, I think, I think in some ways they have, in some areas they haven't innovated. I think that's what he's keying in on here. There's areas where they really have not innovated or they are still in process innovating and the, the, the fruits of that labor have not been born yet. I mean, that, that's, that's probably pretty fair. I mean, it, they're, they're trying to adjust and move the technology into a certain direction that hopefully will make it easier for them to do other things. Yeah. He says, uh, post-Salesforce CRMs will disrupt the industry with force and suddenness of the iPhone. The sadness and of the iPhone? Talks, uh, no, the, the suddenness. Oh. So it, will, it, will, it will sneak up on them in a very you know, surprising way. He says these these new CRMs will use data to make decisions and take action. And of course, he's he's talking about what cell you know Salesforce is. Well, he's not. He's he's acting as if he doesn't know about Salesforce's Einstein initiative because he doesn't mention it at all. And he keeps using this argument that Salesforce is missing the boat because you're going to have all these other CRMs. By the way, you're going to have all these other CRMs <laughs> that. Are all that all that? Which is it, odd. He's not. He's not mentioned. He's not saying like you know these handful of of CRMs that are offering AI right now. He's not saying that, is he? No, he's saying that this is going to. This is what these other CRMs are go, are going to be based on. I mean, he's really projecting in the future about these, but he's he's not giving Salesforce that same benefit of projection into the future. But he's still guessing. He, he's, I, I agree. No, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I could guess that my fridge is going to be connected. Well, I don't have to guess because that's what was on CES. Well, I, don't think have, but, I, mean, I don't think you have to guess that CRMs are going to get intelligent. Yeah. I don't think you have to guess that software in, gel- in, in general is, is moving towards intelligence. And, and I think this is an area where Salesforce is going to catch up and, prob- and potentially leapfrog because I think currently they're behind. I mean, they've always been the, the CRM that couldn't score your leads for you, right? Whereas other CRMs have had lead scoring for quite a while. And so they've been behind, but I think they're leapfrogging. But it's, it, again, he's, he's written this article as if he doesn't even know that the Einstein Initiative exists. Um, he says, and you know, this is the conclusion here. In 10 years, Salesforce will either be forgotten or fading from relevance, and that will be a boon to sales teams everywhere. Oh. Wow, he's, I don't know, he's, <laughs> he's being neggy. This, I mean, this guy... Is this written by Dan Lyons? <laughs> I want to see comments. I clicked on, I don't know, there's a bunch of comments. I'm sure that would be interesting. And I don't know. We'll link that up so people can read the comments. The comments, you know, you'll learn some things in comment uh, sections. For the, few, for the few sites that still allow comments. You notice that? Yeah. It's going away. Or it's gone to Facebook comments, which I have, my browser completely blocks. I don't want to see Facebook comments. Well, it's tough. I mean, comments could have the potential to be a very powerful tool but people just use them. Just I mean, they, they think they're talking to some robot. They've, you know, social media and and things like this have just kind of dehumanized people from each other. They've 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 kind of detached themselves from from that name on, on the screen. You know, they don't see it as a human being. They just see it as this, this soundboard that they just want to rant at. It's just it's sad. Yeah, it's sad that we've kind of dehumanized ourselves so much. It's, yeah, it's gotten nasty. Well, you called me out, so let's jump to the unqualified good thing about Salesforce. So mine for this week is just the ability to take a, a, an ID from any Salesforce record and plug it into the browser and you go right to that record. 
that was a great idea, super useful. And, and I think the fact that Salesforce from day one has been built on, you know, as a browser app where you can basically with a URL go right. That is the way of navigating. It's, it's a way of navigating right to something. You just paste in an ID and you go right to it in the application. That was, that was a good idea. I like that. And I just, you know, when you watch someone work and the fact that, you know, even, uh, you know, very much non-power users even know that they know how to copy paste an ID and stick it up there in that URL and go to that, go to that, you know. But it works with, I mean, it doesn't work with all types of things because some types of things you have to go through, I'm trying to think of an example, like a profile. You know, there's some blah, 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 JSP, question mark, ID equals, and you got to, you have to paste the, that's where the ID is. Right. And that's really the only way to get to it. But in general, especially for all that your business objects, you know, right. it works. And it's super useful. Yeah. Do you have one, John, for us this week? I do. It comes with a story if you want it. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's why we're here. I'm, I'm going I'm to say I'm thankful for the bulk, bulk API. I, I'm glad that exists. I, it, Tell me about the bulk API. Tell, John, let's, let's uh, have a little lesson here, a little intro, a, a primer, if you will, on the bulk API. A primer? Yeah. Oh, we want to talk about you know time before the bulk API? No, no, no. Just what it is. The bulk API is is a way to massively move data in and out of Salesforce. Uh, you, you basically queue up a job that says, I'd like this. And it could be a query. You can say, I'd, I'd like a query of all this data. And you post that job, it queues it up, and Salesforce processes in the background, and you just kind of check periodically if, when that job is done. You're talking about ex- extracting data, right? Right, okay. in this particular case. Yep. And then it tells you it's ready, and you can download it. And so you can get that information. Or conversely, if you want to push data, a lot of data, which is you know a common thing if you're doing a lot of data migrations and moving systems, or even just working with a system that has a lot of data, you want to be able to push that data up. And going through the API with a you know upper limit of what is it two oh it's two hundred records at a time records at a time yeah I think so and then if that object has you know a bunch of triggers and workflow I mean that could take forever it could take days what we used to do is try to uh, multi-thread <laughs> right integrations yep. and tr- just try to create more pipes to put in there yeah Salesforce really loves it when you do that yeah they they would kill <laughs> they would kill threads uh, but um. So, so then the bulk API came out, and and then what what that allowed us to do was to in that particular sense, instance is is to prepare a file and format it in CSV. So you get all your data, you kind of get it prepped and everything that you want to upload, and it could be hundreds of thousands or millions, and you push that up to Salesforce. Actually, it can each batch can only be ten thousand, so you do have to kind of break it up. But at least you can batch ten thousand at a time versus two hundred at a time. You can send that all to Salesforce, and Salesforce so that's will process only 50 it in batches, the though, right? For ten ten thousand. Maybe fifty batches for a million records. You mean? No, you said ten thousand records. It, it, in that file that you upload, uh-huh. you have a max of ten thousand. So if you had a hundred thousand, you'd break that up ten times and and upload ten at it. Okay, know, ten batches. Yeah, and you can you can queue all those up, and then you can check the status, and it'll it'll process them, and you can as you ping it, you can get response back on which batches are complete within that batch. You know what? how much of those records have been processed. So you get a lot of information if you're polling and just pinging that job, as long as you have that job ID. Yeah. Um, so going... Does that ultimately end up being faster, do you think? Because all those triggers and all the stuff, they still all have to run when that data goes in. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it is faster. Uh, it like is faster. Measured, like you've, you've measured this? Or... 
Like, do you, do you know what I mean? Like, Not recently. Like, I haven't, I haven't done like a, a a benchmark metric where I run, you know, a hundred thousand and, and then do a batch upload, but it can be faster because what happens is you're not, the, the messaging isn't there. You're not synchronously calling Salesforce and going, okay, here's 200. And you're, you, you've got that you've got pipe open and you're waiting for the response. And right. then, you know, that, that exchange isn't happening. Mm-hmm. It's just this one do- upload to Salesforce. Yep. And then, and then Salesforce can take that data and process, they can stream that data from the file. So it's able to process it and churn through that data that's a lot quicker. nice that they have stream, they, they can stream files, <laughs> isn't it? It's very nice. Well, that's, that's why I'm thankful for it. Cause going back to my yeah. story of why I'm thankful for it is, is I talked about, you know, the project I'm working on that I did something in, on Heroku with, which is now not in Heroku. And that is because I ran into an issue and it, in hindsight and looking back on it now, I should have realized that was going to be an issue. But in my head, I just was all happy. I was in the cloud. Finish our, uh, finish our good, good thing, unqualified, good thing about Salesforce. And then we'll talk about that. All right. Let's leave. All right. So anyway, bulk. (laughs) So you you like bulk. It's good. You know, I've never, I think I did a couple things with bulk, like uh, probably a few years ago now, maybe. Um, shortly after it came out, and I just didn't find a strong use case for it for me. I just was like, okay, eh, I don't know. Well, because you don't do many, very many data loads anymore, though, do you? I don't do a lot of data stuff, but even when I do, actually, when if I'm using like the data load or something, I turn off the bulk. It just causes me too many problems. So I don't want it. There, there are there are certain instances where it is a little bit tricky to work with, but for the most part, in terms of learn, loading a bunch of data, I've I've found a lot of use in it. Hmm. And in this case, to my story, I'm using it. Yeah. I also, I like the idea of when I'm loading data, I want to see, I want to get quick feedback on how it's going. And with a batch, or yeah, with a batch API, you don't, you know, it's, you kind of dump a ton of stuff off at Salesforce and then they go process it all. And then when it's done, you get an answer back. And it seems like it's, the feedback is not as well, not with the, frequent. With the bulk API, you can get feedback. You can, you can monitor the job. In what in what granularity though? Because like for example, even if you max out with with using just like the SOAP API at two hundred records, I'm getting I'm getting feedback every few seconds at two hundred records at a time, which I kind of like. <clears throat> so that all depends on how aggressively you pull, but you can pull the job. And unfortunately, it's it's kind of a pain because you have to you pull the job so you can get some info information about the job, and then you can pull the the batches within that job. And then you can pull like the individual jobs to or the individual batches to get information on that. And depending on how many calls you make and, and how granular you actually dig deep, yeah. you can get a certain amount of information. It's just a kind of a pain because you have to you have to go and get the job, and then you have to go and get the the batch context, and then you got to go get the the actual like the batches context, and then you got to get the batch context. It's yeah. it's weird. Um, I'm sure there's there's got to be some like benefits to. In my case, I only needed one batch, so it was easy for me to kind of drill down when I needed to to get to the batch info, yeah. and then to to kind of see what's going on, or at least pump it out to my my debugger. All right. Well, let's hear about your this app, this JavaScript JavaScript ish kind of app that you were building, and you had a Heroku component to it that you were uploading. It, this you I don't know. That's some kind of this is your another CSV parsing thing, right? Did we talk about this before thing. on the show. Yeah, we've talked okay. about it several times. Yeah. So, you know, last week you're having some trouble with it and now you're telling me this is news to me that you're not even using Heroku. You're not you're not using an external server anymore or service. Right. I'm I'm back to Salesforce. Okay. And back to Salesforce. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually I will tr- 
continue to transition to uh, Heroku. I have a solution in mind, but it, it requires AWS because I think you can stream a file from AWS using an API. I think. I think. I have to confirm that. <laughs> You're looking at me weird. I don't see why you couldn't. That's why I'm trying to figure out why in the hell you couldn't. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's 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 from one server to another. Okay. Is Salesforce one of those servers? No. Okay. I don't know how to I don't know how to say this. My issue ended up being that I had I took the file, a large file, tried to stick it all in memory. I hit all the all, all the memory limits in Heroku. And this is a um uh, talking about Heroku like it's so Heroku is just it's it's a you can run your app on it, right? So you've got an app that you've, this is a, as a JavaScript uh, node express app, right? Yeah. And I, st- I started with the free, I hit some limits and I was like, all right, I'll bump it up to hobby. So I bumped it up to hobby and I was still hitting limits. And now we trying to load this file all in memory or were you streaming the file? Both. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Cause if you try to load a big CSV, I mean, you're going to hit. Yeah. So, so I, limits. again, my, my, my thought process was was kind of odd, and I should have seen all this coming. I should have planned better. I should have, I should have taken the time to architect the solution a little bit more. But in my head, I was like, oh, "I'll do this, this, is this, and it will work." I didn't really take the time to think it through, so it kind of bit me in the ass really bad. Mm. Um, so what happened is, I was process. I had the file. I, I was able to stick it in memory in my local machine, <laughs> and I just wasn't thinking. I was running it locally, and everything was working fine. And it just didn't dawn on me that I was consuming so much memory, so much resources. Um, and then when I tested it on Heroku, I was like, oh crap, I'm hitting these issues. Okay, let me refactor this. And so I, I tried to come up with ways to kind of stream this file, either client-side parsing and then stream it. But then that ended up hitting some other limits in terms of how many calls I was making. Because the number of calls you make to an app, to your application, to an API does matter as well. And you know, it just, it just dawned on me that you know, really to build a process of file efficiently is you kind of have to have it somewhere near you or some way to stream that file either remotely or or from your local file system that's really what's important because then you can grab a chunk of that file process that you know clear memory out grab the next chunk and you're you're running in a very inefficient state and it's moving moving really well and i just didn't have that option with with the setup that i had that the design that i went with um, so what i did end up doing is i ended up making the browser do it all and it does mean that the tool will require, you know, modern browsers. I used can I use? So thank okay, you for cool. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it's pretty much latest versions of <clears throat> Safari, Chrome, um, Firefox, and Microsoft uh, Edge. Edge, but IE eleven has some partial support. But I'm just I'm, for which feature? File reader. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because uh, that's the that's the main component. Yeah. I did end up using that that pop up parse <laughs> CSV reader that I that I found. Mm. Um, so I did end up doing that. So I actually have it running on a Visual Force page. It will you click the button, it reads the file and parses it. It's really fast in the browser. In the browser, okay. it's really fast. So it, it you know, and it, it's interesting the way they did it because I can actually I can actually grab a row and stream it myself. But in this case, I'm actually kind of loading it up, which kind of sucks. But really don't have much of an option. But so I have I have all this data, and then I thought, okay, I'll just do a remoting call into Salesforce and batch batch this data in. You know, I'll grab a chunk and push it into Salesforce. Yep. Oh, that turned out to be really unreliable for some reason. Uh, at first, I thought everything was running all at You're once. Parsing big CSV files in JavaScript in a browser, I, I, I can't imagine what would possibly go wrong. <laughs> 
But anyways, I no, broke. So was it on the Salesforce side that you're having problems? So, yeah, because I was okay. in VisualForce. I was like, okay, well, I'll just remote. I'll just do a remote call to my controller and pass the data, and yes. have it and have it cache it into a table into a, into an object. Okay. Um, it's it's still in the row itself is still in JSON format, so that that gets pushed in as as just a. a Blob like of data as okay. a string in in, in the but it's it's each each row has its own record in yeah. Salesforce. So okay. for seven thousand records in the file, there's seven thousand records in the table. Um, but that data is still in JSON because that way the importer doesn't have to know about what's in there. I can have different processes go in and pull that data, parse it, and do something with it. Okay. So I'm not like creating a table specifically for this file. That file can change and the code can handle it. So I thought I could just stream it in, and it looked like it worked because I grabbed a small sample of the file and pushed it, and it looked like it worked. And so I I went ahead and did the whole file. And what happened is is in between calls, I was getting these lock errors for some reason. My inserts to that table were locking out, or Salesforce. You're saying the table, the, uh, the Salesforce object. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I use those interchangeably for some reason. So but, you're calling an insert, and you're getting locking issues. Yeah. This was on a remoting call, and and so the 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 remoting instance has like uh, you can say whether or not to to batch. Uh, what is it called? It's some kind of batching system that will try to kind of group your calls and then post them or something. I don't remember what it does. So I made sure to turn that off. I made sure to increase my timeouts because that was another issue. Was that, was the timeouts? And you're getting so you're getting blocking on insert. Well, my remoting call uh-huh. would call in. And you know, one would go in, one would go in, one would go in, and all of a sudden, a block error would come out, and then another block error would come out. Block error? Uh, it's it's a I don't I, I know you, you said, like I thought, to deal no, with specifics, but I thought you were saying lock like a database locking. It is. It says it says unable to 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 put a lock on this table so I can insert it. I don't know what else to say to you. That's what it said to me. Was let me ask you this: Was there a um external ID on this table by chance? Yes. Okay. Well, no, no, it wasn't external ID. I'm sorry. It does have a lookup to a master record because there's a header record that has some information. Then you have all these child records, uh, which are the, is actual the data. Uh, and my 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 architecture is that it'll cache those records, and then once it's done importing, it'll it'll get rid of the cache, but that header record will still exist. So we have a record of this load coming in yeah. and what the result was. So, but and then for some reason, it was just throwing out these odd errors, and I, it was random mm. where it would come up with these weird. Unable to lock the database to do the insert yep. error. I don't remember exactly what it said, um, and so I thought, "Well, crap, I'm screwed. I can't. I can't do that." Uh, so what I did is, is I was all set up to basically make REST calls from my client and was going to bulk API it. And um, so I did some searching online just to make sure no one solved this problem already. And they kind of someone did. Um, it's the Force TK library. Oh, I've used that many times. Force TK, and they have a bulk TK library to go along with that. Okay, and so I ended up using that. Um, it worked out really well. I I, fi- I got it all set up. I you know I, I used some of their examples to kind of structure, and then I refactored them to to do it the way I wanted it done. Um, but yeah, I was able to read the file, parse it, uh, push the data. I still use a remoting call to create the header record. So I'll make that's the first call I make is to to push and get that header that ID, and then and then I just kind of create the rest of it and push that in as a bulk and. Because I'm able to poll, you know, I just have a timeout, a set timeout yeah. call to a function, and I just poll. And you're not having any, um, cor- you know, cross origin, cross domain issues. It's all just going to Salesforce, so it's all good. Okay, it's all going to Salesforce, so it's all good. I'm not concerned with API calls because it because it's coming from Salesforce. It should be excluded from that. Mm, um, I 
Don't know about that. I know remoting is excluded, but if you're calling the bulk API, even though it's coming from a yeah, web page, e- either way, it's it's like two call. It's right. one remoting call, and then it's one batch call, and then a few polling calls. So yeah. either way, I think we're okay. Right. Um, now this is all entirely in Visual Force. This is not going to work in Lightning. So I don't have a path to Lightning with this solution. Well, you can still run Visual Force in Lightning, right? You can, okay. yeah. I mean, you just—it's just—it's just Lightning this tab. Looks like, I mean, it's yeah. styled and looked like to look like the Lightning design system. So we've got that. But I'm just saying, you know, that I don't have a path or solution for this type of thing using all these client side libraries to work in Lightning. Yeah, um, Lightning is supposedly coming out with something they're calling a container, which is basically an iframe that you can run your app inside of, and that'll that gets you around the locker service basically. Why are they overloading terminology? Don't they know we already, we already have a... Docker lightweight containers. <laughs> yes, this, this is their lightning lightweight container. You can, can, you now, can you put a container in your container? I don't know. <laughs> it's developer preview, so I haven't even tried it yet. <clears throat> anyway, that, that's my story of how I eventually, finally solved Sounds like you've problem. learned a lot of stuff. Maybe a lot of maybe certain things not to do, but sometimes you've just you've gotten to play with a, a lot of different APIs and systems and things. I did. I, I got to play with a lot of different systems, a lot of different technologies. Uh, the, I got to see the the best of it and the worst of it, and you know, this was a trial and perseverance. I mean, I I really spent a lot of time not only learning about the libraries that I'm using because I'm that way. I don't want to use it unless I understand it. Yeah. But also just cutting my teeth on it, just going, oh, crap, well, I think that's leaking a ton of memory because for some reason my memory was just way bloated. Yeah. It was like gigs of memory being used. I'm like, this file at most is is going to be like five megs. So I was I was stuck trying to figure all that kind of stuff out. And, you know, I was coming up on deadlines and I actually missed my deadline. So I kind of had to do the walk of shame, as I call it, and say, I need more time. You're so hard on yourself. <laughs> well, because I hate failing. It's your I don't, fault. It's still a failure to me. I, I really, in my head, convinced myself that I was going to be able to get this done and have it done by this time. I was really excited. I was confident. I mean, well, let me ask you this. Did you promise a date for this to be done? I didn't promise, but I was conf- I would, I would, I would express my confidence. that I was, I was confident. I was making progress. You know, I, I, I had some things I needed to tie up, some, some weird issues I had to work on. But I, I didn't, in my head, they weren't insurmountable. Yeah. But c- hitting the, the memory limit and, and all these other kind of limits, I was like, crap, I don't think I have a way around this. Now, I could have implemented this whole client-side thing on the Heroku, but at that point, I was like, I might as well just do it in Salesforce. Yeah. Because I mean, it's all client-side. Right. Why do I have to have this other thing that I have to worry about? Yep. Let me just stick it in here and, and do it. So, you know, performance is going to be based on the user's browser. You know, my machine is, is a pretty pretty nice machine. It, it it reads that file like nothing and pushes that file up like nothing because I have broadband. <clears throat> yep. Now, someone else might have a different experience because it's their browser and their machine that that... that becomes a dependency. Yeah. It's no longer a server dependency. Yep. Um, but that's that's well understood with the solution that I came forward with and and so I think I think we're okay. Especially since it's it's pretty much an admin centric tool. So it's yeah. easier to say very low usage thing, right? It's just it, it's uh, very low usage and it's easier to say, okay, if you're gonna do this, you you have to have these this spec versus, yeah. you know, a public website where, you know, it's hard to dictate what your users are need to use. Yep. So. Cool. Well, I'm glad you got that working because I know that's been bothering you. Um, so speaking of APIs, did um, have you used these? I don't know how long. They, I feel like they've been in preview for a while, but maybe not. Uh, these, I guess Salesforce calls them composite. It's it's an extension to their REST API, but they call them composite resources. 
it's basically just the build. There's three types. Um, what are they? The okay, batch, tree, and composite. And what this is is, it's it's like the normal Salesforce REST API, <clears throat> but you can uh, instead of let's say you have I don't know you want to insert a hundred accounts instead of, you know you want to post a hundred accounts instead of just one. So there's like this this is a batch endpoint where you can just say hey here's a hundred. We'll process each of them separately in a separate transaction, which is um, good for certain certain use cases, not all, right? But the more interesting ones are tree and composite. So tree is like you could say, hey, you could build a JSON structure that's an account, but then on the contacts array, embedded contacts in that JSON structure, and then you can just say you can post that to the tree endpoint, and Salesforce will create that object for you with those contacts. And and this is the interesting part. I think this is the case. All in one transaction. Let me, let me read about that uh, tree. Is this new? I, I I've never heard of this one. It's relatively new. Yes, um, it's all in a yeah. So the tree works all in a single call. But I'm not sure if it's in the exact same transaction. I think it is. But the one that's most interesting to me is composite, and this allows you to make it's it's multiple requests. So it has sub requests, just like the batch does. But unlike batch, the composite lets you create dependencies between your sub requests. So, let's say you have a you have a, a car object in Salesforce and you have a wheel object, but you have a rule that at every, at any point in time, no car object can can exist unless it has four wheels. So you have a problem. Like I'm going to post to the endpoint to create a car and then I'm going to get that car's ID and I'm going to and then I'm going to post to the wheel endpoint and create four wheels, but wait a minute. I can't create that car first because that's going to be in its own transaction and we have a rule that says a car can never exist without four wheels. It's a validation. We never want to have a dangling car, right, that's up on its up on jacks. <laughs> no, not allowed. <laughs> so this allows you to create two sub-requests. One is for the car and then another is for the wheels. And the question then could be, well, they're not, because they're not embedded JSON structures, so how do you, how do you tell the wheel what its car ID is? Well, you can there's a there's a pattern for this. I don't know the name of it. And this this blog post I'm looking at doesn't list it, but it's got something about token. It's some kind of token. So you can when you create the car, you can say, hey, call this car. I'm going to give you a token that's like it's going to be called car uh, car one car one two three right. And then in your wheels, you can say when you when you tell your wheel what its car ID is. There's this like syntax that you can use for car ID. The special syntax that means basically reference. The car with this with a token car one two three, hmm. and then so it links them up. It's almost like a temporary uh, external ID in, in a way. Yeah, so it sounds like but this really. I mean, allows use cases that were not before possible in any of the API SOAP or REST. That's really interesting. Yeah, now, one of my problems with the REST is is for the most part, it's record by record you know you can insert a record you can update a record you can query you can query and get a bunch of records but you know that kind of communication cuz it's rest it is kind of this single one off and so i've i've seen where they've kind of started moving towards this kind of json data structure that you can push up to kind of do multiples it probably supports xml too i'm guessing you know if you if anyone's still using that <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with XML. No, it's just everything. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> there's there's a lot wrong with XML, and in particular, there's a lot wrong with the things that people built on top of XML, like SOAP and Whistle and some of these other monstrosities. It just got really ugly. It, it, I think it had a the out inception of, of it and the idea of it yeah. was was good, but yep. then it got really out of control with 
I don't know the way you could include parts of an XML and then you have the the validators and all this kind of stuff and it just it got really ugly. Well, and, and then you could you could There's do a benefit things. to that though. There's there's a big benefit to saying we want to load this data and then, and the fact that you can have a schema that you can validate your data against to make sure it's right because there's been plenty of situations where if I didn't have a validator like that for for an instance document that I'm creating, an XML document, that it would have taken me forever to figure out what's wrong and just try after try after try and like, you know, just that horrible situation of like you you just have to keep hitting your head against the wall. Yeah, no. That's but I mean useful. the whole point of it was to be readable though. Well, that was the whole point of the expressive. Human readable, of it. yeah. So to so say that okay, you can read it, but you're gonna need this validator to really be able to do anything with it, that just kind of defeats the purpose. Well, and then the fact that the, the, the it might not be there. Because that part of the XML structure might be an include. Which is fine. I mean, yeah, that gives you the kind of ability for reuse or, or kind of compositing these these data structures, but it's just it got it got out of hand. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the book know. for it was like what ten inches thick or something for what? For, for the XML standard. Yeah. But uh, you know my bigger problems with some of the stuff that like Don Box and this other group of guys, some of these Microsoft guys, where they just went totally overboard. They they got high on all business services are going to be composed b- with XML and all these new languages that we're going to create that live on top of XML. Yeah, and that just was overboard. And now, I mean. I don't know. I guess SOAP is useful for some things, but so many things now. Even big enterprise stuff is, you know, JSON or something much simpler. It just takes yeah. so much longer to get any work done when you're dealing with having to convert a WSDL to stub classes or vice versa and all this other crap. It's just, it's, oh my gosh, it's so much more work. Yeah, I I really prefer much simpler data structures. And even JSON could get pretty ugly. You know, I've seen people just create this object tree that's just enormous, yeah. and it's 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 defeating the purpose. Yeah. You can't fix stupid, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's no different than than creating a class that's just ginormous instead of breaking it up into multiple classes. I mean, I understand in Salesforce world, it's it's tough because then you you're bloating your namespace, but still, yeah. Um, did you? I saw. Speaking of the code coverage, guys. Uh, uh, Stephen Harrod uh, tweeted something about, and this was going around, so it really wasn't him necessarily, but like uh, it was just a comment on this. I guess the new new costs for certifications and some of these new certifications they've created, and it's going to be like I guess a hundred bucks per one. And so some of these guys are figuring like these guys that have a ton of certifications, like this is going to cost me like you know a thousand bucks or more a year to maintain my certifications. Is this the case? Have you did you see this? That I didn't see that, but that has been one of my fears of you know because I'm considering you know walking this path of certifications. And uh, stop Siri. <laughs> I guess Siri and certifications sound the same. Anyways, um, I, I wonder that because yeah, every few years it's cost you a hundred bucks to every other year. Is it every other year? Every year, every year, every year. I mean, you ha- you might have to take multiple. Oh, that's right. It is every year. Yeah, because you, you take one for every season. Yeah, and then event. You know that one year you pay a hundred bucks. So yeah. Anyway, yeah, gives just, you that's just a heads up for you guys who have a lot of certifications. You might want to look into that and uh, register your satisfaction or dissatisfaction with Salesforce. That's why you got to get a sponsor. <laughs> right. <laughs> Call an employer. Get a job. <laughs> uh, Bob Buzzard had a really good article or a post, I guess, on uh, don't learn to code in your Salesforce instance. I don't have to go into it, but it's basically just, uh, he's, you know, it's funny. The title is "Don't Learn to Don't" or "Sorry, Don't Code in Your Production Salesforce Instance." But what he really is talking about is 
actually, he's really talking about what I, what the thing I harp on, which is know when you have crossed the line into you actually need an ex, really experienced, you know, programmer, engineer, whatever, and be, try to be aware of that and have some self, self awareness. It's, it's really, because he kind of hits both, though. Uh, good article, though. So I suggest people read that. Uh, there was a new thing on Chrome. It's just random other stuff here I've got, and we can wrap up. A new thing on Chrome uh, supposedly will start aggressively throttling background tabs, and it's funny because there's a lot of people that think that's going to break a lot of a lot of sites and apps and things. But one thing I learned in the process is there is an API. I didn't realize there's a like a a visibility change API, and I'm not. It's probably under the HTML5 umbrella. Uh-huh. So, but instead of having to do updates and timers and things, which most I think a lot of a lot of apps do, you can register for like a visibility change. And so that's how you know if you're running into like running in the background or not. And if you know you're running in the background, then you can just basically avoid all like redraw, refreshing type stuff in your application. That's interesting. Tell you what, if you dig into the, all these API, like the file reader API you just talking about, in, the, in this visibility chain, I mean, there's so many of these APIs. It's crazy. Not to mention the things, the obvious ones like the media APIs and stuff. But yeah, I mean, the, the browser has become quite a capable platform. Yeah, it has. I mean, you can. Did you know? I just noticed this today. I had to log into Skype just to make sure. I got an email the other day that said, hey, you're, we're going to get rid of your Skype phone number. And I think that's just because they hadn't billed me yet. It's I automatic think, I think I got the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, went to, so I went to Skype and I, <clears throat> I noticed you can, either, you can either log into your account, which is no, the normal thing in Skype. You can see your billing and your phone number and whatever else. You can actually log into Skype in your browser and it's a full, I don't know if it's full, but a, a Skype implementation Natively in the browser, and then also there's um I evaluated this there's a, a screen sharing kind of collaboration app called Meet Space and it's not it's it's M E E T so it's actually a play on the term Meet Space, uh, which means in person as opposed to cyberspace. But anyway, M E E T space and it's a it looks really awesome. Uh, people should check it out, especially if you have Teams that you do a lot of collaborating on your computer. But it's 100 percent in the browser. Um, it uses much less CPU than all the other ones do. Skype, GoToMeeting, whatever. And it uh, right now it only supports Chrome and Firefox, though, because it's so bleeding edge. It requires all these like media APIs, and they're the only ones that support it. But yeah, much lower CPU utilization. And it also prioritizes. They're very smart about if you if someone's having a bandwidth issue, it prioritizes the audio above all else because the way our brains work. We can deal with some blips and visual, yeah. but if as soon as someone's voice starts breaking up or something, it, it just our brains explode. Yeah, that's always a big issue. Even even with like go to meeting things, you can tell when someone's got a bad connection, their voice starts kind of cutting out. And it's it's uh, I'd rather I'd rather hear them than than, than see what they're doing. To be yeah. honest, I wanted to get to our questions from last week that we blew off. We blew off questions. From last yeah, week? all right, a couple. I'll, I'll table all my throwaways. My throwaways are getting thrown away. I mean, we don't have to do these. We can save these. We're no. really long already. We are. We're just supposed to keep it short, weren't we? Yeah. But let's do a couple of blowaways and then we'll, 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 maybe we'll do a question episode if we get some more questions in where we just kind of focus on the questions. All right. So we're not ignoring you guys if you have sent in questions. Sorry about that. And keep them coming because that, I think that would be cool to do a, just a QA, a whole QA episode. Yeah. If that makes sense. All right. Then I've got a special outro. Okay. <laughs> John did some homework. No, I didn't. Okay. I, it was something that came I'm across. Trying to give you credit here, John. Well, <laughs> it came across my desk and I was like, oh, this is awesome. Are we doing that now or are we doing the questions? Or you're, you're, you said you had a couple throwaways and then we'd wrap up. We're not doing questions. 
Oh no! I, 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 I threw my throwaways away. They're gone. Oh, you, they're permanently gone. Yeah, I emptied their cycle <laughs> bin. Oh god, you're serious about that? <laughs> I All right. am. Did you want to do a question? At least one or two, or do you want to just oh, go, move let's on? just save them because we're all right. We're, we're, we're like an hour and a half here. All right. So th- this is this is the uh, this this section where for people who don't want to do to uh, only want to hear Salesforce stuff, you can drop off now. Although I do want to. Okay, this is this is our final <laughs> thing, right? Yeah. So I just want to say before. Okay. Um, we still need word. We need word of mouth is what we need. So I mean, we've definitely been growing the numbers. Numbers kind of on this uptrend and everything, which is great because I, I, you know, whatever. But uh, we still need. I think word of mouth is a big thing. Just people, you know, when you tell people about the the podcast, and also like you know, if you do a blog post, you know, to, just to mention. I'm not saying like you know, have some native ad or whatever, but where it makes sense, like you know, mention us, Reddit, your blog, Salesforce forums, whatever. Go spam them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, but I mean, of course, iTunes reviews. We talked about that. Those are really helpful. We really appreciate those. So yeah, help us help us grow. And the Slack help us increase our re- our revenues here. Slack community is <laughs> fun. Our uh, enormous profits. <laughs> All right. So what's our uh, sign off thing here, John? All right. So I'm I'll send you the link to this, and you may have to. There might be like a commercial on the front. So th- this I I found this yesterday. Last night mm-hmm. I was. I was doing my usual trying to unwind from the day and I was on YouTube. And <laughs> so I don't know if you guys know about uh, honest trailers on YouTube. Yeah. If you don't, go look them up because they're freaking hilarious. Yeah. And so they they did one because they're kind of doing this fan appreciation and they did uh, Willy Wonka, the Gene Wilder version, my favorite version, the Good Day Sir version. And uh, are you a Michael Bolton fan? No. Is anyone a Michael <laughs> Bolton fan? You know what? I'm, I'm, I watched this with my wife, and both of us kind of had the same reaction. I kind of like Michael Bolton yeah. after this, uh, so so they they somehow got him to come on and and do some things with them. So uh, to sign us off, we'll, we'll let Michael Bolton sign us off. If Jeremy can, there we go. Regulations We don't really brew Can be right We just toss some shoes into it Every surface someone's chewed it Our chocolate river Is mixed with sewage Oh, just go to Star. Starring Johnny Depp Joe Biden his time when senpai notices you the lollipop yeah, so so it's, it's hilarious so they the I don't if you haven't watched honest trailers what they do is they kind of they kind of do a trailer their version of, of a trailer for a given movie and um they'll kind of point out some of some of the things in the movies it's hilarious yeah they've got um, some good ones yeah so <clears throat> so when that came out I was, I was really excited so I wanted to share that cool all right man well and to that I say good day sir You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.